are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Thursday, everybody. Nearing the weekend, I'm already beginning to see some Tigers take flight for Pennsylvania. But Lance, you and I are here and we will be here throughout the weekend as well. I know you'll be making a trip to Baton Rouge later on, but you and I keeping it here in home base for the rest of the week. How you doing today, my man? Fantastic. And while I may not be going to Penn State, if you go and you look on Twitter, you can feel the tensions rising. It's been that way for a few days now. (laughs) Social media is not a fun place, but this has been an interesting week to see these two fan bases clash on the internet. It has been it has been wild. I will say that it is not what I I have not I have not stepped into it. I have not I've not put any tweets or anything out there. I've just watched from afar these two fan bases. Uh, you know, just do do it. Do what college football Twitter normally does whenever it's rivalry week or whenever it's a big game. Is they just talk a lot of trash. They've been coming at each other. They really have. And Penn State, I feel like, started it. Yes. When their whole stadium chanted, "We want Auburn." Yep. That was when it opened. Yeah, and and Auburn and Penn State again have kind of been going back and forth, but it just feels like some of the stuff is just like, man, that's harsh. Like that that has nothing to do with this game. And and it's something that Zach pointed out uh, on yesterday's show. It's like, look, you don't hear them talking about any of their players whenever they're talking smack. It's like, yeah, Jahan Dotson's gonna gonna go for 200 yards or Noah Kane's going to have this really big play or something like that. They're just talking about their wideout and about things that just don't relate to the game. I'm excited. I didn't expect to see this much animosity is not the right word because I don't think there's real hate there. I mean, some people may be being hateful, but I don't think that there's at the thick of it. I think it's all just fun, right? I think it's all just fun smack talk and whatnot. It's what college football ends up being, right? And you've got two passionate fan bases colliding, but I didn't expect this going into the year. I didn't expect this to be the game where the two fan bases would be jawing at each other, but Lo and behold, and we do have some facts about Penn State to share with everybody later on in the show that we're going to do on a weekly basis. Intern Stink prepared kind of a report on the university and some interesting fun facts about the school and whatnot, and we'll bring that in later on in this hour. But from what I understand, they have a pretty deep fan base, and they have one of the most devoted alumni bases out there, at least from a financial perspective. (laughs) Yeah, and again, just to, to just kind of recap what we were saying about the social media, I don't think that ever everybody out there is is trying to be personally hateful to a lot of people, and most of it is just in good fun. And I will say though, I'm kind of surprised that it took up until the week of the game for the ball to kind of start rolling on social media. Right? It, it feels like it's such a big deal right now that it should have been a bigger deal in the off season. Sure. I completely agree with that. Well, let's get into talk about this game on the actual field. Get away from this nonsense that's in the stands. I want to ask you, what are the top three things you'll be paying attention to in Saturday's game against Penn State? We've done this each week. Now we're on to a real opponent. Let's break it down. 
the number one thing that I'm going to be looking at is Auburn's pass rush against Penn State's offensive line. Me too. Colby Wooden and Derek Hall versus their tackles, Rasheed Walker and Caden Wallace are the two things. Because like you've mentioned multiple times over the past week or so, the way that Auburn has gotten to the quarterback is bull rushing up the middle. They've not been speed rushers outside very often. I'm interested to see what Colby Wooden and Derek Hall do off the edge against these two tackles that have definitely had their fair share of issues over the course of these first two weeks. Yeah, it hasn't been a whole lot of just blowing by somebody off the edge. It's been a lot of grabbing that lineman and manhandling them into the backfield and collapsing the pocket, which has worked. But also, Auburn has faced two very athletic quarterbacks through the first two weeks, and they've been able to escape at times. Namely, last week, Nettles was able to get out of the pocket a few times and avoid some sacks. I also thought Alabama State's game plan did a really good job of getting the ball out of Nettles' hand quickly. They worked in a lot of screens. They were not going to allow their offensive line to get murdered on a play-in and play-out basis like Akron's did. I mean, six sacks against Akron. I don't think Auburn's defensive line played that much worse against Alabama State or that they really encountered that much better of an offensive line I just think Alabama State shifted the game plan around right and again when, when you look at this offensive line for Penn State you know Sean Clifford in the first game against Wisconsin was not able to use his legs at all in the second game he had a 43 yard run against Ball State Auburn's going to have to if they want to get pressure around the edges they're also going to have to play some type of contain to not give him any open running lanes because as you mentioned Auburn's been facing dual threat quarterbacks and Sean Clifford does have some mobility and to be fair Auburn's not going to be in man-to-man a lot right so there's already going to be naturally this protection this spy-like protection it's not a spy because it's zone coverage but there's already going to be this protection there for you that you're going to have dbs and linebackers all across the field dropping back into zone coverage whether it be at the first down marker or some guys even further downfield i don't expect sean clifford's legs to really be a factor in this ball game yeah and i agree with you Uh, because of what we saw against Wisconsin again he was held to borderline nothing in that game and it didn't help him last year in evading sacks because Penn State gave up tons of sacks right and I would expect I'm not expecting I'm not out here saying like oh Penn State's terrible and their offensive line is terrible I'm expecting Auburn to get pressure and so that's my number one matchup because if Auburn does get pressure I think the rest of what Penn State wants to do offensively starts to fall apart the second thing I agree with you number one on this list is the pass rush the second thing for me I'm going to flip it I'm going to say Auburn's pass blocking against Penn State's pass rush which you and I labeled as the weakness of this Penn State defense yesterday only three sacks on the season through two games it's not very good especially considering once again they played Ball State last week which Ball State may be an above average MAC program I don't know how good they're going to be this year. It's too early to tell with some of these Mac schools because they're all currently getting slapped around by their bye games right now. But down the line, we could end up seeing Ball State ended up being a pretty good Mac school this year, maybe a bowl team. And and they have been traditionally one of the better Mac programs, but Penn State should be able to manhandle them and live in the backfield all game long. They weren't able to do that. Auburn up to this point has done a very good job in pass protection. They bought Bo Nix time. He's only been pressured on a handful of occasions I think on the whole year maybe three or four pressures and his backfield up to this point that's very good that's what we expected to see through these first two weeks that was our expectation of this offensive line and it wasn't a low expectation to set it was this is what the offensive line needs to look like you're not going to be perfect for the span of entire game I don't care if it's Akron or Alabama State you're still going to at times get beat that's football regardless of who your opponent is at some point somebody's going to get in your backfield and that's just how it is but Auburn 
has done exactly what I said that I thought they needed to do from a pass protection standpoint through these first two weeks. Now let's see them do it against a real football team that blitzes a lot. Against Wisconsin, Penn State blitzed 50% of the time on Graham Mertz's dropbacks. 50% of the time. Against Ball State, it dropped a lot more. It was down to about 34.5%, 35%. But you don't need to blitz against Ball State. You can afford to drop back into coverage. So you look at what they did against a real opponent in an offensive line that is known for traditionally being good across the landscape of college football. They had to blitz, and they didn't really get home. I think pass protection is going to be incredibly important in this game because obviously Bo Nix has had his fair share of struggles on the road and not being able to be to, to be inside a clean pocket consistently is going to to affect his play. I agree with that. I'll go with run run blocking because for, from the offensive line because you look at the first point, it shuts down Penn State's offensive game plan, in my opinion. What would start up Auburn's offensive game plan? They have to be able to establish the ground game. Penn State right now, over the course of two games, is allowing 2.9 yards per carry. They shut down Wisconsin's running attack for the most part, I would say. In the red zone, they did. I'll say outside of the red zone, in between the 20s, Wisconsin was moving it. And the Wisconsin's running back still went for over 100 yards, but they yeah. ran the ball 58 times. That's right. So I think it's really important for Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter to get something going where they can be a little efficient, average maybe four and a half to five yards a carry, and then get those chunk plays. And I think that's going to open up the rest of the offense, and it's going to get Auburn in rhythm. It's going to take over the tempo of that game, and Auburn's going to be in control. Going back to that Penn State-Wisconsin game, you mentioned how much Wisconsin ran the football. And if everybody goes back and just looks at the box score and looks at the play differential there, and you see that Wisconsin had 95 plays ran, which is totally out of character for a Wisconsin football team. They threw the ball a ton. If you go and look at that box score, it does not tell the story. Wisconsin was heavily running the football for the first three quarters they didn't turn to the passing game until it was out of desperation in the fourth quarter and they were actually needing to move the football with some type of pace Wisconsin was running the ball a ton and sure it may have only been for about four yards per carry on average with Malusi or Belusi I can't remember his last name for Wisconsin do you know which one it is Malusi Malusi for some reason I was thinking it was Belusi I should just trust my gut I was right all along so Malusi was running the ball pretty well from 20 to 20 then they got into the red zone and the field condenses and Penn State now doesn't have to worry about getting beat over the top they can bring everybody into the box and Wisconsin over here acting like they haven't discovered passing the football and that it's the year 1900 and they're throwing the ball on like these two yard pass routes inside the red zone just the field condensed for them and it made defending Wisconsin and what they like to do a whole lot easier for Penn State thus they didn't score but outside of the red zone I felt like Wisconsin was moving Penn State defensive players around even with Penn State packing into the box so I'll add to this if Auburn does want to score you know more than 20 points in this ball game the play action pass game is important and keeping Penn State honest is important but I do think that even if they're not able to Auburn should be able to get theirs on the ground yeah I, I agree with based on what we've seen from this Penn State defensive line over the course of these first two games it's they've not been able to get a consistent push against two opponents that I feel like Auburn's better than in the trenches I think at the end of the day at the end of this year we will look back and say Auburn was better than Wisconsin on the offensive line and the defensive line same for Ball State that's wild which is crazy to think right but the defensive line has played really well up until this point and this offensive line has not allowed much pressure again I know Auburn's played two of the worst teams in the country but it's a projection you've, you've got to be able to give this team credit for going out there and doing what they needed to do against inferior competition 
I don't know if I'm ready to go to the point to say at the end of the season, and I know that wasn't the point of what you were saying. I don't know if I'm ready at the at this point right now to say that at the end of the year, Auburn will have a better offensive line than Wisconsin. It's still early, and I don't think the Wisconsin scheme has helped them out very much, at least in the one meaningful game that they played. Because once again, they just beat their head repeatedly against the wall by running the football nonstop. It was one of the most bland game plans than I've seen in modern day college football when they were taking on Penn State a couple of weeks ago but I still felt like in spite of that the offensive line was moving the football and was helping it open up running lanes now pass protection that's still a concern for Wisconsin this year at this point but I think run blocking is fine at the end of the year though you may be right Auburn's offensive line could be better than Wisconsin and it may be because I put a lot of stock in the SEC because I think a lot of people would have said Arkansas's offensive line was not very good up until that Texas uh, Texas game and they ran for 300 yards and again I'm not trying to argue with you I'm not trying to say that Auburn is going to be incredibly dominant but just maybe I put too much stock in that and I do believe that Auburn is going to have some success in the trenches uh this Saturday last thing that I'll be looking at at least among my top three things I've got a bonus one to throw out there but I think this has to be on everybody's mind. Bo Nix, how does he manage the game? There's a lot of different bullet points you could shoot off of this. How does he manage the game? What does it look like from a communication standpoint at the line of scrimmage with the noise? What does his leadership look like on the field if something goes wrong? How does he bounce back? Last year, of course, we saw things in the South Carolina game, arguing and whatnot. Team loses, didn't really bounce back from an offensive standpoint. How does the team come together this year around Bo Nix at quarterback if something goes wrong? Looking at other things maybe that are outside of leadership, is he making quick decisions? Is he making the right decisions? Is he decisive? Is he making good, quick decisions in this offense? Is he accurate? Is he completing his downfield passes? Does he look remotely like the quarterback he has these first two weeks? Because if he does... I think there is some definite positives to take away from this football game and to carry you throughout the rest of the season because it will continue to improve. If Bo Nix can win this game on the road at Penn State, that should be the confidence boost that he needs to go and beat LSU in Death Valley and to maybe do some things at home against some really good football teams later on yeah I agree with you my third point here is Bo Nix versus Sean Clifford because I think that quarterback battle whoever whoever has the better day they win the game it, they're going to win the game so I'll, I'll stick with Bo Nix here for a second since we're talking about him yeah everything you just said is correct again his struggles on the road they've been he's been really consistent but he's not been consistently good on the road just under 54 percent completion percentage uh on, on the road he's been in these tough environments before I think he's going to handle this environment better than what he has in the past. Again, because he's third-year guy in the SEC, the scheme's a little bit better, and you talk about him being a better decision-maker, being more decisive. I think there are more options in this offense, more checkdowns, more things that he can look at that he's going to be able to go to quickly. And I think at the end of the day, because he's been in this environment so much, he is going to have a better idea of decisions that he has to make. Everything has culminated to this point. And it kind of centers around this position and then Auburn's performance and whether or not they can win this game on the road because you and I had a show months ago, maybe all the way back into the spring, where I said, forget about everything that you knew about this previous coaching staff and this Auburn football program because it's changing, it's different. And if Auburn goes out there and you see the same things that you've seen over the last decade – under a Gus Malzahn-led team, if you see those same things now out of a Brian Harson-led team and there are interceptions thrown, terrible completion percentage at the quarterback position, 
absence of a passing game, mistakes all over the place, an anemic offense that only puts up 13 points, defense is trying to hang on for dear life because they're on the field for 40 minutes in a ball game. If you see those types of things rear their head again now, then we're all going to be sitting back in our chairs and saying, man, I, I, I know what this looks like. I've seen this before. Right, and I would really hope that that's not the case. And you talk about the defense specifically getting worn out. I really hope that that is something that does not happen in this game because Auburn is 118th in the country right now in time of possession. It's because their offense has been so efficient. But I expect this team to run the ball a lot more, slow the pace down, run some more plays. And at the end of the day, I think the defense is going to have more opportunities to kind of be refreshed and get out there and play well. This game is so important, though, for the reasons that I just laid out that if Auburn doesn't win this ballgame, I'm not saying that the season is over, but this is a real chance for Brian Harson to establish his culture. Right. Not that he doesn't already have the respect of his team. He does. And not that... Auburn couldn't go in and beat LSU in Death Valley two weeks from now, even if they lose to Penn State here. Not that they couldn't go and do that, but I'm just saying if Auburn wins this game, imagine what that does for guys buying in and saying, man, this this is different. They're going to have to go out there, and it's something that Harson talked about when he was first hired, is they're going to have to go out there and they're going to have to be competitive. You can't get behind early, and you can't just curl up in a ball and take it. You can't just go out there and get beat like you did against Alabama in the Iron Bowl last season. You're or gonna, Georgia. Or Georgia. You're going to have to go out there, and you're going to have to actually put up a fight, and you're going to have to put your hand in the dirt, and you're going to have to go out there and hit somebody. And I think that's the philosophy that he's instilled in these kids Let's see if it pays off. Let's see if he can establish this culture because you've got some really big games past this coming up. And like you said, it's not the end of the season, but it puts a damper on what you could potentially do now that people have gotten some tape on you. But it also could ignite the flames in a positive way inside these players to get them fired up and be like, man, what can we do? Because I do think that the sky's the limit for this football team. Auburn is talented, and a lot of SEC teams are talented. And sometimes you just need it all to align and to get the guys fired up and bought in, believing that they can do something more than maybe what most people expected them to do outside the program. But that's a huge opportunity. That's what's on the table, I feel like, going into this ballgame. We talk about all the storylines going into this, baked into it, a whiteout game. This is the first big game for Brian Harson at Auburn. What do we expect to see? I feel like the way that the national media is treating this is like, oh, it's Auburn. They haven't played anybody. They don't know how to win road games in tough environments. They've got inconsistent quarterback play. Like, oh, we're not expecting them to win this. I feel like that's kind of the look outside of the Plains right now. And Auburn can get people's attention on Saturday. And that's not the feeling that I get locally with people talking about this game and people that cover this program. But everywhere outside of the Auburn sphere that is not covering this program on a day-to-day basis to see the changes... They, they are not expecting much out of this Auburn team on Saturday. Right. There was an article written by Penn Live, which is essentially the Pennsylvania version of AL.com. And I was a guest picker on the article. And you go through and you read the article, everybody's saying the same thing. Bo Nix on the road. He's not going to perform well. This whiteout is going to shut Auburn down. Nix is going to have turnovers. And Penn State's going to win this game. It's, it's like people aren't even giving this the chance, like we are right now, to say that this is a game. It's like people aren't expecting Auburn to do much in this. But what I see in this is a massive opportunity for Auburn's talent to finally rise to the occasion 
and achieve what we know that they're capable of achieving. And other places really are just kind of saying, ah, oh, they're going to go out there. Maybe, you know, we'll see what they've got, right? Like they're, they're not expecting them to do much. But I wonder how people's tones will change if Almer goes out there and wins. And then possibly even more than that, what happens if they win by two scores? Then it'll be a. Auburn is a legitimate contender. Will and this, it be? And I think it. I think it will. I think that that the definitely this coaching staff will be viewed in a very positive light. Yeah, because I think it, so. Locally, I'm just wondering what the national perspective is, whether or not they will view Auburn. I think more people will view this team as a legitimate SEC contender, or where will the storyline be? Oh, Penn State wasn't that good, right? I think that it, that's definitely a possibility. But like you said, the national perspective is Auburn can't accomplish this. And if they do accomplish it, I think some people are going to look at this because it is a new regime. People are aware of that. They're going to look at this and say, this is different now. They, they, they are doing things that they've not been able to do in the past, and we should be taking them very seriously moving forward. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we play another edition of Start Bench Cut. It's an Auburn edition. You want to stay tuned for that coming up here on On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Garner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Our text line is 334-564-1840. That's how you can reach us here on On the Line. Phone lines are open all show long. We want to hear from you. Getting into an actual edition of Start Bench Cut, not one of our many creations, variations of Start Bench Cut. Now we actually are going to break down players here, and it's going to be an Auburn edition. We're going to start at the quarterback position. Rules of start, bench, cut. You have to choose to start one, bench one, cut one. And for some of these, I'm like, man, this is too harsh to say cut because I like this guy a lot. So maybe I'll just say relegate to third string. Maybe we should should, should call this first string, second string, third string. But uh, let's get to it right here. QB position. Bo Nix, Will Rogers, Connor Basilek. Start, bench, cut. One of these three guys. And I'm going to say it's in that order that you just read them off. Start Bo Nix, bench Will Rogers, and cut Connor Basilak. And the reason that I have Nix over Rogers, and we did our SEC West uh, quarterback rankings just a couple of days ago, and I had Nix over Rogers. The reason that I have Nix at the top is while all three of these guys possess different qualities, I feel like Nix is the most dynamic quarterback out of the three. I think he's got the strongest arm. I think he's the most mobile. I think he's the most, most athletic. He has more potential, a higher ceiling than these other two guys. You talk about Will Rogers not have necessarily having the strongest arm. Connor Basilak in year two, he's still young, was not able to go on the road and beat a team like Kentucky early on in th- this season. Even though he looked good, he was not able to go out there and execute. I feel like Bo Nix has a higher ceiling than these two quarterbacks. And I want to say before I end this, I don't think that either of any of these quarterbacks are bad. I think Connor Basilak's going to be just fine. And by the time his senior year gets here, I think we're going to look at him and say, this is a fantastic quarterback. This is a top five quarterback in the SEC. But again, because Knicks is so dynamic and can do so many different things that I don't think these guys are capable of doing, I have him as my first guy. Starting Knicks, benching Will Rogers, and then uh, cutting Connor Basilak. I agree with you. I think Bo Nix has more arm talent and arm potential than these other two quarterbacks listed. So I've got him at number one as well for all the reasons that you were saying. I went with benching Basilak and cutting Will Rogers. And once again, it goes back to arm potential. And when I watch Will Rogers, I see a quarterback that's making good decisions. He's accurate. But 
I don't see a whole lot of arm strength. I don't see a whole lot of arm potential. And that's interesting to say, considering he's in an air raid offense. Will Rogers, though, is not being asked to make difficult throws. At least not right now with the Mississippi State offense. A lot of crossing routes, a lot of screens, not a whole lot of just tight window, deep throws downfield. Now, I had Will Rogers ahead of Bo Nix earlier this week in my performance rankings that we had because he's performed against better competition than Bo Nix at this point. But after this week, I think Bo Nix probably passes him, even though he is playing Memphis and he probably is going to have another great game. But as far as arm potential is concerned, Basilek, I think, is playing with a little bit of less talent at wide receiver right now. The offense isn't as engineered towards success for their quarterback. I'm not saying that it's it's not trying to make their quarterback successful or anything like that, but we're talking about the air raid. That is based on your quarterback having a good football game, right? Like they are trying to make the QB as successful as possible. And Basilek out there, I know that they lost to Kentucky this past week, but he put up a good performance. I like this guy's arm strength. He's young. I think he's succeeding despite inefficiencies at other positions on this offense, such as the offensive line, such as his receivers. He's got pretty good running backs, but I think in the passing game, there are some inefficiencies and he has been succeeding since day one for Missouri when he stepped out on the field. And I, again, I think all three of these quarterbacks are really talented, and I think Basilak's going to be just fine. It's just right now, I think it could flip-flop him, but uh, Basilak has a lower quarterback rating, uh, lower yards per attempt, which is weird considering this Mississippi State offense just kind of likes to dink and dunk down the field. He's got a lower completion percentage. He's only thrown the ball 15 times less than Will Rogers has. Uh, he's a good quarterback. He is a good quarterback. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that. But I think we can both agree that Bo Nix right now better than both of these guys. Better than both of them. And again, I just think Nix, even though he may has he might have not shown it statistically, uh, I think he's more athletic and has a lot more potential. We don't have a whole lot of time left for more of start bench cut in this segment. We're actually about to go to break in a few seconds. But later on in the show, you can look forward to these two trios. We're going to look at running backs. For Auburn, Auburn's a tire stable of running backs. you got to start one, bench one, cut one. Be thinking about it. Tate Bigsby, Jarquez Hunter, Sean Shivers. And then we're also going to look at the receiving core. Demetrius Robertson, Shedrick Jackson, and Javarius Johnson. Yeah, and those are going to be really fun. I, I don't I don't want to cut anybody. I like them all. They're great players. Yeah, that's where I was saying cut is too harsh. Yeah. Very harsh. Because I like all of those guys. And I think they're all playing really well right now. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. We start breaking down some of the other games happening in college football this weekend, namely the Alabama Crimson Tide at the Florida Gators. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show so far. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We're going to head to our phone lines now. Number to call, 334-321-1390. And now we've got Travis on the line with us. Travis, it's good to hear from you, my man. How you guys doing? I, uh... You know, I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to call this week because I'm about as superstitious as they come. And, uh, you know, my saying is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, you know, I couldn't resist not calling you boys and talking about this monumental game that our Auburn Tigers had this Saturday in Happy Valley. Monumental is a great word to put it. I completely agree on that. Yeah, you know, is is Auburn has looked good the first two weeks. Don't get me wrong. And I know the competition level hadn't been there. I know that's what – a lot of the media saying and all that. But, guys, 
let me let me break this game down for you and tell you how it's going to happen. Penn State last year very gullible against the run, and I think that's a deciding factor on, on Saturday. Uh, Sean Clifford, Penn State's quarterback, is uh, is not. I, I still don't think he's good. He's been there like fifteen years. And uh, I still don't think he's good enough to push the ball downfield. And that's what you have to do to beat this Auburn defense. You're not going to line up and run the ball with consistency versus this. And I know Bo has had his struggles on the road, and you've seen the graphics about his, his home and road splits and all that. But, you know, when you have, like, three routes in your whole route tree, that kind of limits you in your, in your ability. And then, you know, Gus usually goes real conservative with his play calling on the road anyway, so that doesn't help a young quarterback either. Uh, this is a, a completely new offense that Bo is in, and I think that Arson and Bobo have some, some plays and some designs that they saved specifically for this game. I know we've talked about that before that they haven't shown yet, and I think that, that right there gets Bo into the rhythm early in the game that we need him in in order to keep the box light, in order to, uh, to run the ball consistently throughout the game. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that right there. James Franklin earlier today or maybe yesterday was speaking with the media and he said he didn't really know, or maybe not that he didn't really know, but he said it's been challenging to prepare for Auburn because he doesn't know exactly or actually what they're going to run after the two teams that they've played up to this point because A, Auburn's thrown a lot on film already, B, they've done it really well, and C, a lot of that was it was Auburn's base. They They, they weren't really... You know, uh, yeah. branching way far out and and from from being vanilla. Not not to say that Auburn's vanilla, but because uh, it was more diverse than what Malzahn was doing. But it definitely wasn't um, wasn't exactly what you're going to see when Auburn's playing good teams, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, both he struggled early against Alabama State. I think we all saw that offensive line had some trouble. You know, had some drop pass and stuff like that. But then, you know, Harson was like, it's just not worth expanding my offense in order to win this game. So I'm just going to ground and pound you. And that's what he did in the second half, and, and I really like that uh, that approach to it because Bo received a lot of confidence against Akron, going twenty for twenty two, and uh, you know, and I think I think he's got the confidence that he needs heading into this game, and that's always huge. But I also see them working in some stuff because I think Penn State comes out with eight in the box. I ain't gonna lie, I, I don't care if we're in the shotgun, eye formation, wishbone. I don't think it matters. They're gonna put at least eight in the box. And I think they're going to come after Bo. And so I think that, you know, Javaris and Shedd and Demetrius, if they get open on some slants, maybe some RPO stuff, and get Bo some easy throws early, I, 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 don't, I don't see Auburn winning this game, boys. I see Auburn winning this game by double digits. And I know they're a 5-1 underdog. And uh, I think the line's gone from 6-5, to five, I believe, in Penn State's favor. But I see Auburn winning this game 24-13. to 13. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of score predictions kind of hovering in that low 20s and holding Penn State low. I'm thinking right now, and this is weird, maybe throw four field goals in there. Auburn wins like 26-16 or something like that. I'm with you. I'm in that same ballpark. Yep, and uh, I, I hope I'm right, boys. I hope, I hope Travis nailed this one this week. But, uh, and uh, you know, if, if we win and everything plans out like, like it's supposed to, I'll be sure to call back next week and celebrate with y'all. That's right. If not, Travis, we're, we're, uh, we're holding you accountable for your superstition. <laughs> yeah, I know. It'd be 100% my fault, and I'm going to blame nobody but myself. <laughs> Appreciate it, Travis. See y'all. That was Travis on the line with us. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Say this right now. I don't believe in jinxes. So... And I, I'm, I'll say that straight face to anybody, and I've always said that. Stings get mad at me. I don't believe in jinxes. So call back, Travis, next week.
Yeah, absolutely. And everything he said there, uh, Travis might be my favorite caller, man. I mean, he breaks it down and he breaks it down perfectly. And I agree with with just about everything that he said there. And then at the end saying, I don't believe Auburn's going to win. I think they're going to win by double digits. Whoever wins this game, I think is going to win by 10 points or more. I think it's going to be I agree with a that. matchup that we either didn't expect or did expect to go one way or the other. It, it, it impacts the game like a lot whenever it comes to maybe like oh Bo Nix continues to struggle and that's what decides this game by 10 to 14 points or oh Sean Clifford and Penn State really can't survive their offense can't go because Auburn's defensive line is just too overwhelming and then Auburn's offense does just enough to win by 10 or 14. I really like that score prediction 24-13. Also like with your with what you're saying about Auburn gets in field goal range can't get in the red zone they kick a bunch of field goals Andres Carlton is really reliable you could see this game come down to one of the legs of one of these two kickers. I could definitely see that as a possibility. But at the end of the day, I agree. I think whoever whoever wins this game is going to be able to put points on the on the board and win by 10 or more. Let's switch around to some other games in college football this weekend. A game that we have hardly talked about. Two SEC games is what we're about to break down. But a game that we have hardly talked about this week at all. Number one, Alabama, 14.5-point favorites on the road at number 11, Florida, 2.30 p.m. CBS. On a scale of 1 to 10, how strongly do you feel about this being an upset? I'm going to say two, and I'm going to give you a stat here. In Dan Mullen's career as a head coach, he is 2-28 and against teams who have finished in the top 10 of the AP poll. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's a good chance Alabama finishes in the top 10 of the AP poll. And this is See, a game. Sting is like, wow, right now. But I'm like, nah, it's Mississippi State for you. This is a game where I can see Alabama coming out and executing like they did in years past whenever we thought games against Texas A&M would be competitive. Well, but, Alabama gets up for these games. Right. This is, this is one of those matchups where it's like, even if you think Florida has a shot, Alabama's going to go in there and crush Wills. And with a dual-threat quarterback system right now with, with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, we don't know if Anthony Richardson is 100%. I don't think Emory Jones or Richardson is going to be able to get it done against this Alabama defense. I think Florida puts a little pressure on Bryce Young, but at the end of the day, I think he's too talented. I think these receivers are going to get open, and Alabama wins by – I think they cover. I'm at a two as well. The only reason why I didn't put it as a one is because it's in Gainesville, I guess. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I didn't want to say no chance whatsoever, right? But I'm at a two on the scale. Florida just right now, they don't have a reliable passing game. I don't want to say that they don't have a passing game, but it's not reliable. In fact, more times than not, it's shooting themselves in the foot right now. Where they're most successful at this point is getting their quarterbacks, running the football, getting them out in space, getting these athletes the football. But at this point, the passing game is not good enough to to beat Alabama. It's just not. And Alabama's got the linebackers. They've got the athletes to play out in space to limit what Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson can do. Sure, Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson, they might break off a big run in this game. They might break off two. They might break off four. But that's still not going to be enough to beat Alabama. So I'm going to say I'm very low on this scale of it being a potential upset let's keep the same scale on a scale of one to ten how strongly do you feel about this being close i'm going to say two again i don't really? i don't think this game is going to be close i'm at again. a four i think i think alabama is going to cover and it's going to not be embarrassing but it's going to be just reinforcing the fact that alabama is the best team in the country i'm at a four 
because I do think Florida's pass rush could force Bryce Young into mistakes, could make it hard for Alabama to throw the football around a little bit. But with that being said, it is still a four out of 10 here. I do not expect this to be close. <laughs> yeah, and, and that that's definitely a, a, a very real possibility. I'm just kind of sticking to my guns and saying what we've seen in the past, like regardless of who the quarterback is, how old they are, what the scheme is, where it's at, Alabama's been able to go out there and execute consistently. And while I do want, I don't want Alabama to win. I want Florida to win win this game. As as an Auburn fan, I want to see Florida pull pull off the upset. I just can't. I can't commit to anything other than what we've seen in the past, and that's just Alabama going on the road and 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 playing the way that they do. What's the key matchup in this ballgame? I think it is that uh, if we're going to if we're going to label anything and say that this is going to keep the game close, it is that Florida pass rush against that offensive line and keeping Bryce Young comfortable. Because if he's not comfortable, like you said, things could get out of hand. Because you could picture, like uh, Chris Gordy said yesterday, you could p- picture a scenario where. Florida gets pressure early. It's three and out for Alabama. Florida goes down and manages to score, and then Alabama's fighting from behind for the rest of the game, potentially, or for a couple of quarters. That's not a position you want to be put in ever on the road, especially in an environment like like Florida's. So I think this pass rush is going to have to be able to get home in order to keep this game close. Some pro football focus grades for you right here. The Bama O-line in pass protection, pass block grade from pro football focus, 50.1. Florida's pass rush grade, 85.5. One of those is very good. One of those is very bad. Yeah, again, if you if you aren't familiar with PFF grades, 50.1 is not abysmal, but it's, it's bad. It's not it's not good. Yeah. It's not and 85 is good. That is very good, yes. So there there that's the I think I would you agree that that's the matchup? One hundred percent. That's at? what I've gotten written down. Yep. One hundred percent. Let's switch to another game. This one in the East, South Carolina at number two, Georgia. Georgia's 31 and a half point favorites against Zeb Nolan and the Gamecocks this game at 6 p.m. on ESPN can South Carolina look you and I were not taking South Carolina to win this ballgame we're picking Georgia to win this ballgame but can South Carolina do anything that might be able to shock Georgia or possibly put something on film for folks to say oh maybe that's an area we can exploit down the line because right now I think Georgia has played two teams obviously Clemson's better than South Carolina but I think UAB is better than South Carolina I don't know if if South uh, South Carolina's offense is dynamic enough to put something on tape to where we can say, oh, somebody can exploit that against against Georgia in the future. I don't think South Carolina is going to be able to move the ball very much in this game. I'll say this: maybe they'll have some success on the ground early. That's what I would. If but anything. at some point, and right now South Carolina is averaging like 180 yards on the ground, somewhere around that mark, but. The reason why I doubt it long-term in this ballgame is because eventually Georgia's just going to start stacking the box if they don't do that from the beginning of it because there is no reason at this point for me to say Georgia's defense should respect South Carolina's passing game. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, if there's anything that South Carolina could do, it's early in the ballgame getting a couple of long runs and people, people looking at it and saying, oh, well, maybe we can get Georgia on the ground occasionally in the future because Zaquandre White, uh, the South Carolina running back, uh, averages 8 point, uh, yeah, 8.1 yards per carry right now. So that could definitely be an area where South Carolina goes out there and like, look, we don't have confidence in Zeb Noland. He's not going to get it done through the air. Let's see if we can establish the ground game early. Maybe get him some easy throws in third and medium, third and short, and maybe that's the way that we can try and claw into this game. Well, South Carolina cover 38 one and a half point dogs. No. No? I don't think, I don't think so either. 
That's all I wrote on my sheet. No, period. <laughs> Very finite it. No, yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think South Carolina covers. You struggle to beat a team like Eastern Carolina on the road, and I know they're not absolutely terrible. You're not going to go on the road in Athens and do what you did a couple of years ago. I was looking at pro football focus on the back end and was looking at some of the tools that they have for betting and whatnot, just seeing what things were looking like across the landscape. And at this point right now, as of a couple hours ago when I was checking, majority of the bets are on South Carolina to cover, but majority of the money is on Georgia to cover, meaning that the people with the money, the smart folks, the sharps, the people that do this thing on a regular basis, they're, they're going Georgia to cover, whereas most people are seeing 31.5 points. The average Joe, the average individual is seeing 31.5, and they're like, oh, that's not going to happen, and they're being lured into it, right? I think Georgia covers. I'm going to trust the smart people. Yeah, South Carolina's offense is not going to be able to put, on, put up enough points, and I think Georgia is going to be able to not necessar- necessarily do anything they want, but they have options both on the ground game and through the air. Well, this isn't linear college football is not linear but i do believe uab has more to offer on offense than south carolina does especially in the way of a passing game i would take tyler johnson the third at quarterback over zeb noland based off of what we've seen through the first two weeks and south carolina struggled with east carolina and east ecu may be an american athletic conference team but they are borderline a conference usa team in my mind at the bottom of that league most years now there are some folks that are higher up on them going into this season possibly a bowl team if you can hang with an sec team i don't care which sec team they probably do have a shot at going to a bowl game out of the american but there are still some good quality teams there i digress uab only put seven on georgia and it was a defensive touchdown and south carolina only put 20 on ecu do you think UAB could beat South Carolina in the yes. neutral site right now? I 100%. Agree. Yeah, I think UAB is a better team than South Carolina, at least from what we've seen out the gate. So that is where I'm going with. I think Georgia covers. And this is not going to be one of those games where Georgia's going to want to hold back punches either. It's South Carolina. They're rivals. They're going to want to punish them at the end of the day. Not saying that they're going to run the score up or anything, but this isn't going to be close. We'll be back to wrap up our number one of On the Line when we come back. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we get out of here for hour number one, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, folks, some movie selections for this evening. Grand Torino is on AMC at 7. Head back in time with this classic. Grease is on BBC at 7. Also talk about a blast from the past. Mary Poppins is on Freeform at 5. Loosely based on the video game series. Rampage, the film with Dwayne The Rock Johnson is on TNT at 7. Sting, you got a little excited about that. Did you play Rampage growing up? I played Rampage for hours. Same. I loved that game and I never did see the movie. I completely forgot it existed. Well, you can watch it tonight on TNT at 7, so go watch it. Live sports this evening, we've got college football at 7 on ESPN as the Ohio Bobcats take on the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns on ESPNU at 6.30. Alabama A&M is at Bethune-Cookman. In the NFL, Thursday night football is between the New York Giants and their divisional rival, the Washington football team at 7.20 on NFL Network. And that's what's on TV tonight, among some other things.
There you go. And yeah, it, it, I'm definitely going to be watching uh, Louisiana Lafayette take on Ohio. That's gonna no be NFL a fun football. Game. No, I prefer college, honestly, and I think that's going to be a fun game. Very similar, like the New York Giants and the Washington football team. Very much so is the Ohio Louisiana Lafayette game of the NFL this week. It kind of feels <laughs> like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Let's get into our NFL picks. We have sprinkled this throughout the show today. We're going to pick a couple games here, and then we'll come back in hour number two for some selections as well. So Sunday showdown, you and I had terrible weeks last week. I have a losing record on my picks in the NFL. I'm at four and six. You went five and five. I'll be honest. The fact that I broke 500, I think, was a miracle. If I if I finish the year with a better than 500 record, I'm going to be surprised. It's because I picked the Browns. And you had you had right to do so for about two and a half quarters, man. Heartbroken. All I can say is Anthony Schwartz. They got him. They tried to get him the ball a lot more than I thought he they would, and he looked great. Let's start it off with tonight's Thursday night football game: New York Giants at Washington Football Team. Two zero and one squads coming together to meet up. Seven twenty p.m. One of these teams jump starts their at least hope that they can win a putrid division or what has been a putrid division now i'll say the cowboys look pretty good in week one and they'll have a challenge against the chargers we'll pick that game later on this game tonight at 720 on nfl network i'm gonna take washington to win this game even though taylor heineke is is in for uh, the injured ryan fitzpatrick i think this all played well yeah this offense is just as good with heineke and i think they're gonna be i think they're gonna be good this season i think they can make uh i think they can make the playoffs unlike new york and daniel jones who is just a fumble machine i think this (laughs) washington defense is going to get after uh this this new york giants offense and i think washington wins and i think they win pretty big I'm not going to go as far as to say pretty big because I don't know if either of these teams are capable of beating somebody by a large margin. Washington's defense is good, man. It is good. I also think that their offense isn't very good. Sure. (laughs) Especially with, you know, their backup quarterback now in. And going into the season, you look at the quarterback room, it was Fitzpatrick, Heineke, and then uh, Allen, right? And they're going with Heineke. And Heineke's played hard. But he's not going to get you really more than 23 points, regardless of who you're going against. I'm going with the football team as well, but here's a fact that is going to make you insanely uncomfortable. Daniel Jones is undefeated against Washington. He's about to lose tonight, bro. I can't. <laughs> that's shocking. You know what? That also, I will say this. Now that Fitzpatrick is out for a few weeks, isn't this the perfect time to sign Cam Newton and to get him some reps, right? Yes. Absolutely. But they didn't. But they didn't. What's going on? Bro? They, they signed Shermer to the practice squad. My boy Kyle Shermer. Didn't he play at Vanderbilt? Man. Yes, he did. It feels like it feels like he was at Vanderbilt for decades, bro. But yeah, Washington, I think, is gonna win this game. Cincinnati Bengals, one and oh. They upset the Minnesota Vikings last week. They're on the road against another NFC North team and the Chicago Bears, who are 0-1 after getting thumped by the Rams, 12 PM Fox. You can't use Justin Fields as a gadget type quarterback. I don't think that's gonna work. And having Andy Dalton out there, I don't think is gonna work either. With Fields as the full-time starter, I don't know if this offense is going to be able to win a whole lot of games. I'm going to take Cincinnati and Joe Burrow to win this game on the road. I do not have faith in the Chicago Bears, but I will say I am a big fan of Justin Fields. I can't feel comfortable picking the Bengals to be 2-0. Something about that, them going on the road to Soldier Field. I'm going with the Bears. I think this is an ugly ball game, but the Bears still have talent everywhere but quarterback, at least starting quarterback. So I, I'm, I'm going to take him at home. I'm going to take him at home. I don't feel great about it, but I am going to take Chicago. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two in just a few moments.
are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. 502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show so far. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Coming up in our next segment, we'll have Eric Speakman, Opelika football head coach, on the line with us to speak to us about the Opelika Bulldogs and what they've got going on in their upcoming ball game tonight against Carver Montgomery, big region matchup there between Opelika and Carver, as well as we'll look at some of the other games of interest in high school football this week. But we'll start off hour number two with our making headlines segment. As of Wednesday, and this is our first headline here, as of Wednesday, Tennessee is undecided on who the starting quarterback will be against Tennessee Tech. And you look at that quarterback situation with Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker, and after seeing just how wildly inaccurate and inconsistent Joe Milton is, Hendon Hooker came in, threw a couple of touchdowns, threw that interception late in the game that officially ended Tennessee's hopes at making a comeback, but he was the more efficient passer, he was the better decision maker, and honestly, even though Joe Milton has been a threat on the ground, I liked what Hendon Hooker did on the ground as well against Pittsburgh. I think if they're going to stick with a guy, they need to go with Hooker now because we've gone through two games and we have seen Joe Milton play wildly, again, wildly inaccurate against two teams, one of them terrible, one of them decent. He just has no touch on the deep ball. They need somebody in this explosive Tennessee offense with these talented receivers. They need somebody that can put some touch on the ball and can make this offense actually go because they took six deep shots, I believe, on one possession against Pittsburgh, and Milton completed none of them. They're going to need a quarterback that can actually complete some of those because this Tennessee team has the ability to, to, to play well. I mean, obviously those receivers were open. You just have to go out there and execute. If you were asking me, I would go with Hendon Hooker, and you and I thought initially this was the guy that they were going to go with in the offseason. 100%. Comparing their two careers at this point, one at Virginia Tech, one at Michigan, Milton being the quarterback at Michigan last year before he lost his starting job, and then Hooker kind of missed some time he ended up sharing some time i think burmeister's the quarterback there right now at virginia tech yes kind of lost his job a little bit as well but i I thought hendon hooker still did a good job last year and his numbers support that comes to tennessee i expected hooker to be the more versatile of the two a little bit more athletic a little bit quicker when he's moving out of the pocket and as far as passing numbers are concerned neither of them are great but hooker was definitely better at scoring touchdowns and limiting his interceptions his touchdown interception ratio wasn't one like joe milton's last year where joe milton had four touchdowns four picks so you could see the differences between the two last year but one could make the argument that the michigan offense did no favors for joe milton he comes out the gates doesn't look great against bowling green of course things go awry against pittsburgh over the weekend they lose to the panthers in a 41 to 34 shootout which was not how i expected that game to go i actually expected both the defenses to flex their muscles just a little bit but instead it was kenny pickett and the pittsburgh panthers putting up enough points and a shootout to win this is not good for tennessee at this point at this moment i do not think they are a bowl team 
losing to Pittsburgh, kind of looking at Tennessee's schedule, the West opponents are tough. You're playing Ole Miss and Alabama. Both of those are losses in my eyes right now. And then you look at across the East, I don't know if they can get three wins in the East at this point. I think Kentucky, Missouri, Georgia, and Florida all at this point are better than Tennessee. And if they can't steal one against one of those clubs and then still beat South Carolina and Vanderbilt, they're not going bowling. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a rough outlook right now because you and I thought at the beginning of the season, and this I think is going to still prove to be true, that Pittsburgh matchup is is the one of the biggest deciding factors in whether or not this team makes a bowl game. Now, do I think this team is talented enough to make a bowl game? Yes. I think Hinden Hooker at quarterback, I think this offense is going to be a little bit more efficient. And had he stayed in for the entire game, I think they would have had a shot definitely uh, to, to win that ball game and to look down the line and say that we can get to six wins. But as of right now, I agree with you. Because they lost that game against Pittsburgh, it's going to be interesting how they handle the rest of the season. On the flip side, let's go to another SEC team, and they too, they're sticking with their starter right now, but there's a little bit of a controversy brewing there. At least the media is kind of pulling it out that way, asking questions about maybe would Florida move away from Emory Jones, but Dan Mullen is sticking with Emory Jones as the starting quarterback at Florida going into this Alabama game. Both he and Richardson, though, will play on Saturday against the Crimson Tide. I agree with what Chris Gordy said yesterday which is I think you give Emory Jones two more games. You give him this game, you give him the game against Tennessee. And if he is not improved, if he has regressed as a quarterback, this is what I was saying a few days ago. Look, I'm not looking at Anthony Richardson and saying, oh, he, he's, he's so fantastic, like give him the Heisman already. But you're seeing a lot of potential in this kid. If you're going to develop somebody and you're looking down the line, the, the future of this program – I think you have to bench Jones or at least keep him in, in a reserved role and you have to start letting Anthony Richardson throw the football around a little bit as the season goes on. I'm not saying in the Alabama or the Tennessee game. I'm saying you give Jones a couple more games and if it doesn't work, you switch to one quarterback. Having that dual threat type of system does not work very often. If anybody could make it work, it's Dan Mullen. But as of right now, Emory Jones is not playing very well, and they're going to need somebody that they can rely on in the future. I'd like to see Anthony Richardson get as many reps as he can because I think the future in Gainesville relies on how good of a passer he is because that running ability has already been shown. On the flip side, you and I are talking about how we think that Richardson has played better than Emory Jones at this point. We really haven't gotten to see enough from a passing standpoint to support that. Richardson's got a cannon he's got a laser he really does but questions about accuracy there decision making he really hasn't been put in tough places like Emory Jones has up to this point you could say Emory Jones hasn't either because he's been playing Florida Atlantic and USF two teams that are not massively talented defensive programs of course but he's been put into more situations where he could make mistakes than Anthony Richardson has right so I don't think that we've had a large enough sample size for Anthony Richardson right now to draw any conclusions about his passing ability but I think we have seen enough out of the two running the football to say this Richardson guy man he can fly yeah he really can like you saw against South Florida that 80 yard touchdown I don't want to discredit Emory Jones as a runner either he's currently second on the team in he's rushing a good rusher yards. this team right now it's so weird I think we might have joked about this in the offseason. I was like, imagine if with Emory Jones as a dual-threat quarterback, instead of doing what they did last season, which is throw the ball around the yard, and they're one of the best passing offenses in the country, if they completely flip the script 
and they just start running the ball, and they're averaging over 300 yards rushing right now over the course of these first two games. So I'm not saying that that's going to be what it looks like at the end of the year, but I think it's interesting to see that Dan Mullen, what he said at SEC Media Days was true, is he's just going to go with whatever benefits his quarterback, and right now his two quarterbacks are playing well in this uh, system where they run the ball a lot. They've turned into Kentucky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, turned into Kentucky. Now, do I think they possess the, a, a little bit more of ability to throw the ball than Kentucky? Yes, but again, that's not been proven not yet. this year not not well I think they've got I think they've got more talent than Kentucky at receiver has consi- consistently over the past few years yeah but I severely question whether or not Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson will get to the point this year where they can get the ball to him with consistency whereas Will sure. Levis I think can get the ball to his guys now I'm not ready to say that Will Levis is one of the best quarterbacks in this league but I definitely think Kentucky's I was saying that Florida has turned into the Kentucky of old the ones that yes. were led by Stephen Wilson and uh, I guess Terry Wilson too right yeah, I think it was Stephen Johnson yes, that's and, right. and uh, Terry Wilson. Yes, you're exactly right. And look, like you just said, uh, although I do think that Florida has a little bit more talent at receiver, yep. I agree with you. I don't think these quarterbacks are going to get it done consistently at the end of the day. I don't think this is the game where you start Richardson for sure yep. because talk about ruining the guy's confidence to come out there against Alabama. That's This is not the game where you break in a new guy. So I don't blame Dan Mullen with sticking with Emory Jones. And just as likely as this could further the narrative that Emory Jones shouldn't be the starting quarterback at Alabama and Florida fans may be pulling their hair out after this ball game but this could also likewise be an opportunity for Emory Jones to stabilize his spot as the starting quarterback for the Gators if he can go out and put together a good football game right because the game's not been played yet I can't hear sit here and say that Emory Jones is going to just be terrible against Alabama on paper I can look at it and say that there's opportunity for it but like you just said he could go out there and he could play really well at home who knows maybe he feeds off the crowd maybe things are just clicking for him he maybe we see his arm talent and we see him develop a little bit as a passer in this game that's definitely a possibility all eyes are going to be on him if you haven't been watching him yet i'm sure most people will be watching him at 2 30 on cbs on saturday moving to our third headline here in making headlines the atlanta braves lost 3-2 to the colorado rockies with the divisional lead dropping to three and a half games they were supposed to play the rockies earlier today at around 11 a.m game got postponed due to rain and this is not, again, like I just said a couple of days ago, you want to see Atlanta kind of rekindle that fire that they got midway through the season. You want to see them start that flame back up because postseason play is less than 20 games away now, I believe. And you're getting closer and closer to that mark. You'd like to be able to see Atlanta not not just hold this lead in their division, but play better baseball, play more consistent baseball, because you're going to have to do that in the playoffs. I want to be able to get to the playoffs whenever it comes and say Atlanta is not only here, but they deserve to be here, and they're going to com- prove that they that they deserve to be here by going out there and competing, because right now they're, they're splitting series and, and losing games that I feel like they should not be against inferior competition. Moving to our last headline here on Making Headlines, the New York Giants and the Washington football team square off in Thursday night football on NFL Network at 7.20 p.m. You're choosing between Louisiana against Ohio in college football or Giants football team in the NFL. This is a game that's got my interest. I know you're going to be watching college football. I'll be watching both. I mean, who am I kidding? Why would I just limit myself to Daniel Jones and watching him go against the backups for the Washington football team. But I think this is a big game early on in that division because we've seen over the last few seasons the propensity for this division to be the worst division in the NFC. Last year they had a team with a losing record make the playoffs. There's an extra playoff spot across all of the NFL, both conferences. 
last season that got a team that was at 500 or just barely above 500 to the Chicago Bears into the playoffs and it got a team that had a losing record into the playoffs in the NFC NFC was not very good last year this group right here in Dallas is 0-1 Philly's 1-0 I think they end up losing this weekend I'm not sure if I trust the fact that just because they beat down the Falcons that means they're going to be the better the one of the best teams in that division but this is an opportunity for one of these two teams to go in the right direction and try and establish themselves traditionally a division that has been very very bad and, and it I, can give them a chance I think that team is going to be Washington because we saw them emerge as the best team out of all those guys last year and I think they've got their stuff together this year because COVID it was it was interesting because it, it, everything was just so isolated like the scenarios and things that were happening now that things are back to normal I think we're going to see Washington continue to establish themselves Ron Rivera is a good head coach had he signed Cam Newton I'd be a little bit more confident in this team and but, they play good defense right held the Chargers to 23 points this past weekend the Chargers can throw it around the yard yeah so so again I just I maybe I like this Washington football team a little too much I just have faith in their coaching staff and the players I feel like I've bought in. That defensive line is really good. Daniel Jones has not been the most consistent quarterback. I think this is a really good matchup for Washington. I think, like I said, I think they win pretty big. I'll say somewhere between 10 to 14 points is, is, the, is the, uh, the margin of victory there. That's it for our Making Headlines segment. When we come back, we got Eric Speakman, Opelika football head coach, and we'll take a look at some of the games of interest in high school football this week. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Daw with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the show, the content. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Going to add to our phone lines now. Number to call 334-321-1390. And before we get to our pre-recorded interview with head coach Eric Speakman, we've got Matt on the line with us. Matt, how you doing today? Good guys, I was just curious on your thoughts on these two things that I took away from the Alabama State game. Um, one in the second quarter, I think it was when Brandon Council went out. The uh, offensive line on um, passing plays looked to crumble a little bit against Alabama State, and I'm assuming Penn State's defensive line is better than Alabama State's. And so I was wondering your thoughts on that. And um, I don't know that is. Either Alabama State has got some really good DBs or our receivers are the best. Wait, can you repeat the second point? The defensive backs for Alabama State, they covered our receivers pretty well for the most part, and at least in the first half mm-hmm. when we were struggling. Yep. I'll uh, I'll say this about the, the Alabama State secondary. They were very good in the SWAC last year. We talked about that all last week going into it. It's like That's probably the best position group that they have uh, aside from uh, running backs with like Ezra Gray and whatnot but on the defensive side of the football that's definitely the best position group that they have I was really impressed with them I thought I, I wouldn't put that on the Auburn receivers I thought the Auburn receivers yes they had some drops but outside of that I thought that Auburn you know they're, if, if the DB can stay with you step for step in coverage they're they're probably a pretty good DB I, I, I wouldn't be too concerned with how Auburn matched up with the Alabama State secondary and then what was your first point again it was against Brandon Council going uh, out. Yeah, I mean, Council's back. Uh, he, he's 
he should be good well, to go for the game. Well, my, my biggest thing was, like, assuming, and this is a pretty good assumption, our offensive line crumbled a little bit in the second quarter when we were doing passing plays, and Bo Nix was pressured and uh, made some in, uh, some inaccurate throws. And I'm assuming Penn State's defensive line is slightly better than Alabama State's defensive line. Right. So I was wondering how that may impact our offensive line and our passing plays. Well, I will say I will say this. I agree with you. I think Auburn definitely is going to struggle a little bit against Penn State's defensive line as compared to the first two opponents of the season. But like we've been talking about earlier today, Penn State against Wisconsin and Ball State was only able to get three total sacks over the course of those first two games. So while Auburn's offensive line may struggle a little bit against Penn State, Penn State's not been able to get home so far this year. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for calling in. That was Matt on the line with us. 334-321-1390. Yeah, I'm not, look, I'm not too concerned about them getting home. They get home against Ball State. And, you know, maybe with Brandon Council when, when the offensive line started to struggle when he went out, I mean, that could be a chemistry issue. That could not be used to playing with somebody next to you, right? I mean, that's right. – and against Alabama State, sure, that's still not a great excuse, but I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Yeah, and I will say – I will say, though – I think that's that that is an accurate way to say like look we should be we should be aware of this this should not be something that we're sleeping on that's why we said that was one of our top three things that we're watching going into this game exactly Auburn's offensive line obviously if they if they had some issues against Alabama State like he said I think it's fair to make the assumption that Penn State's defensive line is a little bit better than ASU's but still at the end of the day you look at what Penn State's been able to do so far this season they've not gotten home consistently don't know if they're going to be able to do it very well against Auburn sure well let's get into what we talked about coming into this segment here we've got an interview a pre-recorded interview from earlier with Opelika football head coach Eric Speakman let's head to that conversation now and hear what he had to say about the Bulldogs matchup tonight against Carver Montgomery you're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We've got Opelika football head coach Eric Speakman with us on the Thursday edition of the show. Coach, how you doing today? Hey, doing good on a rainy Thursday. Coach, last week, a 21-0 victory over Ufala. Take me through your team's performance against the Tigers as you guys go into a big game this week. Yeah, I thought we played really well last week. Uh, you know, finally started hitting on all cylinders on defense. We actually caught eight turnovers last week, uh, seven on offense and then one on special te- or seven on defense and then one on special teams. So, thought the kids played uh, really well. A lot of energy, a lot of passion, and offensively, we're starting to get get going a little bit better in the passing game. Uh, run game's been there, but we got to get a little bit better in the passing game as we uh, go forward this season. Eight turnovers. That's video game-like numbers. How does that happen? Uh, n- no idea. I don't know that I've ever been a part of a game where, you know, one team had eight or we forced eight. So, uh, you know, we work on it a lot around here on some turnover circuit stuff every Tuesday. And, uh, you know, we try to force turnovers. We've actually now forced 16 on the season through four games. So, it's been really good. It's kind of one of those years where we're forcing a lot. A lot of years, you know, we've had that we didn't force a lot. So, a lot of interceptions, a lot of fumbles calls, so this group's really flying to the ball. That's that's the biggest thing is, is hustling to the ball and trying to get the ball out. And a big part of those interceptions, your star cornerback, defensive back, Jarrell Stinson. Take me through what he means to your program. Well, right now he's been injured, actually. So uh, if you see Stinson in the paper intercepting balls, that's actually Jaden Stinson. Uh, so he uh, has three on the season. 
Uh, Jarrell's a little banged up with a shoulder injury, so he didn't play last week, and, and he won't play tonight. Uh, hopefully we'll have him back next week against Central. Uh, we'll definitely need him against them with all the skill players they have. But, you know, uh, but he does bring a lot to the table to our defense to answer the question uh, when he's on the field for us. Uh, kind of limits what they what the other team will do. Uh, he can shut down the whole half side of a field if he if we put him at corner. If we need to match him up against a receiver, he can do that. And in region play, you guys have only given up one touchdown over the last two weeks. How are you guys stacking up on that side of the football as we now hit the midseason mark with game five tonight? Yeah, we take a lot of pride in, in pitching shutouts, and uh, the, the touchdown that uh, Lanier threw was just a great play by them. So, you know, you take away that one play, and we've, we've pitched two shutouts in the last two weeks. But the kids take a lot of pride in that, and we always have around here. So, uh, we've moved a couple guys around on the defensive line, and actually in the secondary changed uh, a couple of the safeties from from position to another position uh, in the back defensive backfield, and it's really paid off for us. Kids are a little more comfortable in those spots, so uh, we're we're kind of hitting hitting our stride there on that side of the ball. Switching to tonight's game against Carver Montgomery, Thursday night ball game on the road. Where have I heard that before? Two weeks ago against Sydney Lanier. How did that game prepare you guys for this moment? Well, I think we'll find out tonight. You know, we we made this trip exactly two weeks ago on a Thursday, coming off a short week. So, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't practice two weeks ago on a Wednesday. We didn't practice very well, and and then yesterday we had a really good practice. So I'm hoping that you know they kind of figured out from two weeks ago just the routine of of having this short week. And we're gonna have to do it again at the end of the season. We played Park Crossing on a Thursday in Montgomery. Uh, we drew all three of our Montgomery games this year on a Thursday. And uh, hopefully, you know, that two weeks ago prepared us for, for tonight, and uh, we'll find out tonight against a really good Carver team. This is the beginning of a difficult three-game stretch where the three opponents that you've got on the road, they have a 10-1 combined record. What's it going to take to be successful over these next three games? I just continue to work hard and play hard. Uh, you know, that's uh, opponents having that kind of record against uh, their other opponents. You know, our schedule's always tough. So if you look at our two losses, those teams are undefeated. And then you just mentioned the next three opponents have a record of 10-1 and one against their opponents. So, you know, we we always try to schedule good people. And then this year our region uh, is, is not too bad. So you've got Carver tonight who's undefeated in the region and Central next week and then uh, Russell County who's 4-0 uh, for the first time since 1998. So they've got a lot of good things going on down in Russell County that we have to go down there and play. Uh, so, you know, it'll be a tough three-game stretch, but I think our kids will be up to it. Mentioning Carver off to a 2-0 and start in region play, you can begin to see some of these teams that you've already mentioned separate themselves from the rest of the pack. You guys, Russell County, Carver, Lee Montgomery still in the mix. What's Carver doing specifically that's gotten them off to this fast start? Uh, it's your typical Carver team, uh, really good on offense, have a lot of good skill players. Uh, they're using two quarterbacks, uh, big offensive line, uh, and then defensively, uh, they're kind of we've we've looked at them, you know, a good bit this week, and and kind of think defensively they're a little bit opposite of what Lanier was. Uh, Lanier was really really strong in the secondary, and 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 you know they were good up front, but they're obviously the strength of the defense is in the secondary, whereas Carver's kind of opposite. The strength of their team's going to be, uh, or the strength of their defense is on their front seven, and uh, and then their secondary, you know maybe a little bit, maybe a notch below a uh, Lanier defense. So, you know, they still run to the ball, real athletic, uh, well-coached. So, you know, we'll have our hands full this evening. Carver only giving up the second fewest points in region play 
second to you guys at this point, big defensive game. How do you, in your career, how have you seen those play out in those defensive contests? Uh, they've actually ended up being pretty good for Opelika over the last, you know, my 22 years here and probably previous to that is, uh, you know, we've always been a real, you know, Opelika just seems to be a defensive school. That's kind of what we've always been known for. So we're usually not good in shootouts. And uh, if we can keep it low scoring, we've always been, been on, usually on the winning end of those low scoring games. On the flip side, offensively, I can still see you guys trying to break out and have a big performance in a game. What's it going to take to continue to progress and do that over the course of the season? Uh, the biggest thing is getting our passing game going. Uh, we haven't completed many balls downfield yet, and you know it's been a very uh, various reasons. It's been either drop balls or overthrown receivers. Uh, so we've got to get something going on that side of the ball as far as our passing game goes. Our run game's been really good. Uh, we're using about five or six running backs, and our offensive line's been a bright spot so far this season. But for us to continue to get better and be able to put up some points when we need to, because in today's world of football, it's hard to hold people below about 17 points uh, when you play a good team or you get in the third round of a, uh, of the playoffs. You know, those you usually see the scores are in the low 20s there. So, uh, we've got to be able to do something to where we can complete some balls down the field. What are the keys to tonight's ball game against Carver? Uh, get better in the passing game and then continue to create some turnovers. Uh, you know, that's it's always a game changer there when you create a turnover and a lot of fun. The kids really feed off of it. So that'll be the, the theme tonight is let's create some big plays for us on offense and cause more turnovers. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Good luck on the trip to Montgomery tonight. All right. Thanks, guys. That was Opelika football head coach Eric Speakman speaking with us here on the line. Lance, some good football games happening across the AISA and, uh, excuse me, HSA, and then as well into AISA tomorrow night. Just a look at some of those games happening across the high school football landscape tomorrow. Auburn will be taking on Jeff Davis. Auburn undefeated. Jeff Davis currently winless. But in that same region, Central and Enterprise, two undefeated teams squaring off. So the cream continues to rise to the top. You move on to the Birmingham region in the AHSA. Hewitt Trustful at Thompson, two 4-0 football teams. And then Hoover at Oak Mountain, also two 4-0 football teams. All of those in the same region. That's Four the, teams undefeated. That Thompson two game, will remain. That Thompson game is going to be really fun, man. That's right. As well as in Opelika's region, Robert E. Lee will be taking on an undefeated Russell County school that has turned some things around in their program. Very interesting matchups tomorrow in high school football. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes left in the Thursday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show so far today, and if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just wrapped up a conversation with Eric Speakman, the Opelika football head coach. Once again, if you missed that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Big game for Opelika against Carver from Montgomery tonight, as well as some massive high school football games tomorrow as well we're going to go back to picking nfl games we've got our sunday showdown segment now lance you were five and five last week i was four and six we just won't talk about that anymore we've already picked a couple of games done the giants washington football team game we've done Bengals bears now let's get into los angeles rams 1-0 at indianapolis colts 0-1 
12 p.m. Fox. I think this should be a fun game because it is in Indianapolis. Matt Stafford in his first game with the Rams looked really good, really comfortable, throwing the ball around the yard, a lot of fun. Carson Wentz with the Indianapolis Colts uh, losing to the Seahawks at home last week. I'm going to take the Rams to win this game. I like that offense. They looked like a contender in uh, in their division, I this like year. that defense. That defense, man, with Aaron Donald, that defensive line is is legit. And then you also have Jalen Ramsey. Don't forget about him. I'm going to take the uh, the Rams to win this game. I just don't think Carson Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts, who are solid, they've got good pieces. I just don't think that they're going to be able to get it done. It's kind of like they're still in the preseason a little bit because they didn't mm-hmm. get to work with their quarterback that much due to injuries, due to the coronavirus. The Colts are still trying to get established this season, whereas the Rams. It looks like this is the thing that their offense has been missing all along. A quarterback that wasn't a system QB, a guy who can spread the ball around the yard. And so I like the Rams as well. Moving along, Buffalo Bills, they lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. A shocker for both of us. They go on the road to take on the Miami Dolphins, who edged out the Patriots by one point last week, 12 p.m. Fox. Yeah, I don't care. I'm picking the Bills. <laughs> I'm gonna I con- am too. I'm going to continue to pick the Bills until they are like out of the playoff race, in which case I'll, I'll, I'll maybe back off of them. That's not going to be a problem, Lance. They, They're going to be fine. Super Bowl champion Buffalo Bills happening this year. Josh Allen MVP. I'm just saying. But, yeah, I think that Miami, they they looked like they had a lot of issues on offense with Tua. Just did not look comfortable. Mac Jones, I feel like the Patriots were the better team in that game. It's just the fumbles cost them late. Uh, I'm going to pick Miami to lose this game to the Buffalo Bills. I just think there's too much firepower with Josh Allen and Buffalo to not go and get it done, even though it's on the road. I'm rocking Bills as well. Miami last season, not a very good offense. They only scored 17 on the Patriots, so I do believe has a good defense this year, but I still don't trust Tua Tagovailoa. There's not a whole lot that this Miami offense has done over the last year in a game now to show me that I should have a lot of confidence in them going against a Bills defense that I do think is pretty good. If you're asking me about these two quarterbacks going head-to-head, I'm going to take Josh Allen and the Bills all day long, so give me Buffalo with this one. San Francisco 49ers, they almost blew a lead to the Detroit Lions last week, but they are 1-0, and they take on the Philadelphia Eagles, who destroyed the Atlanta Falcons in Mercedes-Benz, 12 p.m. Fox. I'm going to take the 49ers in this game because I look at that Atlanta team, and I just don't see the Eagles replicating that kind of success. Even though Hurts did look good, the team did look good, Atlanta is is a basement dweller it looks like this season and while they did look good I I like what San Francisco was able to do for about three and a half quarters against the Lions I don't think that's going to happen again I'm going to take the 49ers to beat the Eagles on the road Atlanta may be worse than a basement dweller they may have the they may have the whole basement to themselves (laughs) right now that may be a little harsh after one week but I'm not a big Falcons guy either, so well, <laughs> I like to poke fun occasionally. Yeah, you're, you're a Browns guy, and I will say they're starting to look a little bit like what Cleveland's looked like for the past decade or so. It's, it's, it's not looking good there in Atlanta right now. I'm going to go 49ers in this one because I don't trust the Eagles yet either. I think that they're playing a much better defense than what they faced in Atlanta, so I don't think you can expect the same type of ease that the Eagles had last week especially you know just I mean, they threw the ball so well and I'm like is this is this legit and, I, and I'm not ready to say that it is Garoppa goat for the San Francisco 49ers played really well didn't you know did, they didn't air the ball out a ton with him he only had 25 pass attempts but he's trying to stay he's trying to keep his job man and um, I'm gonna take the Niners as well I just think there's a lot of talent there Niners could be a playoff team at the end of the year 
it's just all going to come down to guys not getting hurt there's still talent last year they were just bad because everybody got hurt can people stay healthy that's the question and uh fully healthy 49ers team i do think is better than the philadelphia eagles las vegas raiders they took down the ravens on monday night football short week they're on the road at the pittsburgh steelers 12 p.m cbs both these teams played better than i thought they would in week one and they both won when i thought both of them would lose this should be a really fun matchup i'm going to take the raiders in this one i'm going to take los angeles and this Derek carr led offense to go and get it done against a really good pittsburgh steeler defense i think it's going to happen i don't really have a have much of another next explanation other than i just like what Derek carr brings to the table and my gut feeling says pittsburgh's going to lose this one I do not I do not trust Big Ben in his 30th year in the NFL. I'm not mad at that. Once again, I'm a Browns fan, but uh, I'll say this. I'm taking the Steelers at home. You're taking Noodle Arm? The Steelers and Noodle Arm? <laughs> <laughs> I am taking the Steelers. I'm taking Steelers in the defense. I think that uh, watching the Raiders play this past week, I don't think the Ravens' defense is amazing. I think it's fine, above average in the NFL, but the Raiders just dink and dunked all the way down the field. And you have to keep in mind, the Ravens had a ton of guys hurt, and they still do have a ton of guys hurt. A lot of those guys were out for the rest of the season, offense and defense. I think the Raiders just kind of dink and dunked it, really didn't stretch the ball down the field a whole lot. Not that Derek Carr is incapable of doing that, because he very much so is capable of doing that, especially with his receivers like Henry Henry Ruggs. They do have the ability to do that, but I felt like it was very contained last week. And once again, I do know they scored 33 points in that game, but this is a whole different beast from a defensive perspective. I like the Steelers to hold them down make some plays, maybe force Derek Carr into some turnovers that have been characteristic of this Raiders offense. And I think with being able to control the clock, force some turnovers, the Steelers can squeeze out, you know, maybe a six-point win or something like that, similar to what they did last week. We have to keep in mind, they held the Bills to 17 points last week, 16, 17 points. I think they can do that against the Raiders. It's a fluke. Nobody nobody trusted the Steelers team is not <laughs> as good as you might think. I, I don't think they're that good either. I just... I think they're going to squeeze it out at home. I'll take the Steelers in, in their comfortable place as opposed to the Raiders who have a short week and also have to go on the road. Also, a major come down from playing in front of your fans for the first time, right? And now you have to go and play in front of the other team's fans. It's, it's going to be a whole different vibe. They're accustomed to that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's true. New Orleans Saints at Carolina Panthers. This is a 1-0 divisional matchup. This was a team in the Saints that I was way off of. And who was right? And you were right about yeah. Jameis Winston. I'll give you the credit. Absolutely. You were right about Winston and this team. I'm going to pick the Saints to win this game after seeing what they did against Green Bay. You look at what Carolina did. They struggled against a New York Jets team that just does not have an offensive line. Um, it I think I think that Jameis Winston is going to be able to go out there and get it done. I don't know if we've seen enough of Sam Darnold in Carolina to determine whether or not he is a good or a bad quarterback. I think this is one of those games where we're going to get to see glimpses of whether or not he is. I'm going to rock with the New Orleans Saints in this one. I don't think it's going to be close. This very well could be multiple scores. This this should be. I don't know what the line is on it, but this should be one of the larger lines across this NFL schedule. Believe it or not, the Saints are only favored by three wow panthers didn't look good last week they won 19 to 14 it's like <laughs> they didn't look good and sam darnold was was fine but i mean he didn't, he didn't look great yeah i'm gonna take the saints to win this game did i ever tell you about the time that i went to a saints game and i was not supporting the saints i believe wait when, wasn't no fun. no you, it when, was not fun when you weren't supporting the saints well, no i was not supporting the saints i went to go and watch the browns play the saints in the superdome uh. and uh felt like i was at an lsu football game 
It was uh, as as an opposing fan, of course. I mean that that it, I had fun. I had a blast. It was a great road trip, and it, it was great to go and see the see the Browns in person. Um, and because the really only opportunities I get that is if they get to play a team in the NFC South or if they play the Titans. So I don't get that opportunity a ton. But uh, to see them play the Saints, that was an absolute blast. But they were uh, that fan base is is not very uh, they were they were discourteous to me. <laughs> I can imagine L- LSU and Saints fans, man. They get wild down there in Louisiana. It's a, it's a, a very passionate fan base down there. Moving on to our next game, Dallas Cowboys at the Los Angeles Chargers, 3.25 p.m. CBS. Yeah, you would be, you would have a better time sticking out a wet sheet of paper out there for defense instead of the, what the Dallas Cowboys have to offer. I think Justin uh, Herbert is going to tear this team apart. I've really? got Los Angeles winning, and I've got them winning big. Even though the line's only 3.5, I've got a gut feeling that Los Angeles is going to go out there, and even with Dak Prescott. Even with back, them hanging with the Buccaneers last week, that it, none of this matters to you. No. I really, I really like what I saw from Herbert last year, and the fact that Dallas is still has a terrible defense. At least it looks like after one game, I think at home the Chargers are going to get it done. I went Cowboys in this one, and I like Dak Prescott a lot. I like what they got on the offensive side of the ball. I thought they performed really well against the Buccaneers. Of course, the Buccaneers are going to pick them apart. There's so many different weapons on that offense. I'm going to say the Cowboys defense is a little bit better than what we saw this past weekend. Um, of course, they invested a lot of it into the offseason, so I would hope it would be better. But I just, I don't know. I still don't trust the Chargers. They're a team that is, their roller coaster describes the Los Angeles Chargers so well. They'll have one big win one week, and then the next week they'll look awful. I expect a close game. I'll go Cowboys on the road. Tennessee Titans at Seattle Seahawks, 325 CBS. Russell Wilson plays so well early in the season. You saw last week 254 passing yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. I think this is another game where early in the season we see Russell Wilson cook, and we ask after the at the end of the day, is he the early MVP candidate, as he has been consistently for the past four or five years now. I'm going to take the Seahawks to win this game. Tannehill and the Titans continue to shoot themselves in the foot. Last week against the Cardinals, and a really impressive showing by the Cardinals by the way but I think the Seahawks it's just a little too much Titans looked really bad last week I thought this defense was going to be better I was wrong and the Seahawks shouldn't have really too many problems with it this week they're at home now that's a really tough trip how far is Nashville to Seattle I can look you it don't up. have to actually look it up I mean just think about that that trip alone that is going to be brutal and that is one of the more emphatic fan bases I'll take Seattle for the road trip alone and the fact that that defense was awful last week, and I don't see it getting that much better. Now, could this game be close? It's all going to come down to whether or not Tennessee can actually establish the rushing attack and make Tannehill comfortable. But last week, he was anything but comfortable. They did not protect him well in the pocket. I think Seattle, with their aggressive defense, they're going to be able to fly around, make some plays. I'll take the Seahawks. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's a uh, it's a 2,390 mile trek up to uh, Seattle. It's a 35 hour drive. It's a 786 hour walk if you want to go. Noah, 786 hour walk. 780. How many days is that? Uh, I can't do math, man. Don't ask me that question. <laughs> All right, the team that beat my Browns, Kansas City Chiefs at the Baltimore Ravens, 7.20 p.m. NBC. This is Sunday Night Football. I'm going to pick the Chiefs in this one because, again, like you mentioned, the Ravens are banged up right now. That defense did not look as great as I thought it would, and Kansas City is Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. I think they're going to score in this game. He's got absurd statistics in September. It's going to be fun. He just does not lose in September. Kansas City Chiefs all the way. If this game was later in the season – maybe sandwiched between 
some divisional games or something like that or, or a relatively rough stretch on a Chiefs schedule maybe I could see it happening but week two the Chiefs are just getting going they're just getting going so I'll take Kansas City in this one last game to pick here on Monday Night Football Detroit Lions at the Green Bay Packers 715 ESPN I don't feel great about this no. but I will take the Packers at home I will take the Packers at home as well but I was just about to say the line is currently 11 in favor of Green Bay nah. I don't stay stay away from that one kids do not bet on that game <laughs> And, and Detroit's bad, but still, just three points last week. Three points, really? That was it. After all this off season, everything that happened this off season with Aaron Rodgers, three points, two interceptions, one hundred and thirty-three passing yards, good, three, three points. Good job, good job, boys. I'll take the Packers to win this ball game. But once again, I don't feel great about it, but I just don't see them losing in, in Lambeau. So there you have it. That is our Sunday showdown, all of our NFL selections for tonight and this weekend. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we take a look back at the Auburn-Penn State matchup and wrap up the Thursday edition of On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Only a couple minutes left in today's show. Then it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. We're going to welcome intern Sting onto the show. And uh, we're going to do this on a week-to-week basis. Get Sting to give us a report on the opposing teams that Auburn will be playing. Auburn playing Penn State. And Sting has found some fun facts about the Penn State Nittany Lions. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, hopefully I can teach people a couple of things out there. Just I want to start with just some kind of information about the school, uh, the Pennsylvania State University, which seems to be a theme in the Big Ten, the whole the State University. As if there's thing. another one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently there are 23. I mean, they're all affiliated with the Pennsylvania State University, but there's 24 total campuses other than the main one. But there can only in, be one. There, there can, can be only one. Yeah. The, the main State. one, of course, is in University Park, Pennsylvania. And it was founded on February 22nd, 1855, which, assuming my calculations are correct, and they are, Makes Penn State 350 days older than Auburn. Dang. And that's what's going to set him over the edge in this game. Yes. (laughs) Experience. It's going to be the older brother by just a year. Yeah. (laughs) The total enrollment at University Park is 46,723. And when you combine all of the campuses that are affiliated under the Penn State banner, they have over 100,000 total students. Dang. Yeah, a lot, right? And then just a couple of fun facts about the school. I thought this one was really cool. So Penn State is a land-grant school like Auburn, but they're also a sea-grant school, which is kind of a group of universities that participate in uh, research of the oceans and kind of bodies of water Mm -hmm. in America. They're also a space-grant school, which you can probably guess studies outer space, and then sun-grant, which isn't the sun, but it's uh, renewable energy researching and developing, things like that. They are one of four schools that are both that are all land grant, sea grant, space grant, and sun grant. Dang. They do a lot. Apparently. Yeah, they do a lot. They, they do a lot. And they do so much that Penn State is often regarded as a public Ivy school, which you can probably guess there, too, is just kind of a publicly funded university that a lot of people consider to have an education on par with the Ivy League schools. Yeah, it's because they've got so much to offer. Yeah, exactly. We're giving you all the fun facts you need if you're making the trip to yeah, Pennsylvania. Yeah, like I said, I, I want I to teach to people stuff. You these guys about it. You're going to drive up there, and before you get to Happy Valley, you're going to drive by a campus, and you're going to be like, oh, it's the, no, it's the other Penn State University. <laughs> My bad. Okay. There might be a couple that we pass, right, on the way up there. Yeah, so Penn State also has the world's largest dues-paying alumni association. I believe 34% of their graduates or so are 
uh, members of their alumni association, association, which is apparently a very large number. I think it was around 170,000 total members. And Penn State also hosts annually the largest student-run philanthropy event in the world. It's called THON. It's a dance marathon. And in 2014, they raised $13.3 million for pediatric cancer research. That's awesome. Yeah, they do, awesome. They do a lot of cool stuff, except yeah. they're eight, eight and they're wide out games. So. Right. And then just some uh, notable alumni here, Keegan-Michael Key, obviously Key and Peele, uh, Ty Burrell, who is best known for his role as Phil Dunphy on Modern Family, one of my favorite characters in TV history. Hmm. Terry Pagula, the owner of the Buffalo Bills, Julius Epstein, the screenwriter for Casablanca, and Mark Parker, who is currently an executive chairman for Nike. Okay, I learned something here, but do they have Tim Cook? As they do not have Tim Cook. <laughs> they do not have Tim Cook. They do not have the CEO of Apple. That's yeah. right. What they do have is a whiteout, though, and apparently that's all they need. Yeah, it seems like it, right? <laughs> they could not even put a team out there on Saturday, and Auburn, Auburn, Auburn would just, would just start would, breaking they, down. They would just crumble before of, yeah. the noise. The, 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 just the noise, <laughs> just break apart the integrity of their cells. And <laughs> yeah. Disintegration. Twenty-five false starts and delay of game penalties, boys. We will have we'll have more penalty yards than we do actual yards from scrimmage. <laughs> That's good. Appreciate it, Sting. Yeah, of course. That was intern Sting giving us some fun facts about Penn State that uh, I didn't know. I didn't know a lot of that. I'm trying to figure out the difference between State College and University Park because apparently they're in the out. same place. I think it's the same thing, or I at least University maybe they're Park like right next to each other in the city's border you know so it's like the same thing i, I think guess. university park is in state college and university park is just the name of the college campus sure of right. penn state as yeah. in yeah. university park there you go that makes, makes sense. sense yeah there you go yeah. glad that made sense only a couple minutes left here in the thursday edition of on the line let's take a listen to what's on tv tonight Hi, everybody. Grand Torino starring Clint Eastwood is on AMC at 7. Head back in time with Grease on BBC at 7, as well as also Mary Poppins on Freeform at 5. Those were two movies where I was like, man, that is from a long time ago. Loosely based on the video game series, Rampage, the film with Dwayne The Rock Johnson is on TNT at 7. Kingsman, The Golden Circle is on FX Movies at 7 as well. Live sports, we've got college football at 7 on ESPN as the Ohio Bobcats take on the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns on ESPNU at 6.30. Alabama A&M is at Bethune-Cookman. In the NFL, the New York Giants take on their divisional rival in the Washington football team at 7.20 on NFL Network. You've got NASCAR Camping World Truck Series live from Bristol Motor Speedway at 8. PGA Tour Golf is on Golf Channel with the Fortinet Championship. And that's what's on TV tonight. Sting, you still you still just so super excited about Rampage tonight? I think I'm totally watching Rampage. I, I forgot that it even existed. I never did go to see it when it was in theaters. So, And you kind of brought up some memories. A lot of my very fond childhood memories are centered around playing Rampage with my friends. And I had totally forgotten about those days. So I'm totally going to go watch that movie tonight. I've triggered some happy memories there for, for Sting. Lance, pick for the Ohio-Louisiana game tonight, college football. Louisiana's going to win this game. And possibly big. Ohio's not very good. Yeah, we were talking about it earlier uh, off-air, uh, off talking about how Nathan Rourke, the former Ohio quarterback, his little brother, Curtis Rourke, is currently the quarterback for the Bobcats, but he's not as good as Nathan, and I don't think they're going to put up much of a fight in this game. That's it for the Thursday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us. 